0: Scripture reading for today is from Genesis 3, 19 to 23. I'm reading from the ESV version. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Edge City Church, uh, especially if this is your first time with, just as like Joanne said, we welcome you here. We'd love to connect with you and just share just a little bit more about what God is doing here at Edge City. My name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here at Edge. I focus a lot of my time and energy towards community engagement, in ways for our church to be a blessing to our neighborhood is really our uh, main emphasis and focus. Uh, But at this time, uh, we're going to take a little break that we've been going through right now from our previous sermon series. Uh, Next week, we're going to start off, uh, Pastor Finn's going to come back and he's going to share with us and other speakers as well as we dive into the summer in the Psalms. So we're looking to end the summer. Can you believe the summer is almost about to end uh, with the book of Psalms? And then we're going to pick up in the fall, which we highly encourage everyone to come and check out is Encounters with Jesus. We're going to look into the Gospels and and learn and look at the life of Jesus and see how that applies to us. So that's what's coming up in in a month and two uh, in in the coming weeks ahead. Uh, But for our time this morning, even from the passage that we heard i think today it's a message that i think that many of us can relate to even as we look into our country and even to the whole world we're trying if anything all of us to figure out and normalize this new way of life new rhythms of life based on the pandemic that we have all been facing and if anything covid has slowed down things for us this even includes us as we are very slowly getting back into the rhythms here in New York. Even with all the questions, there may be a surrounding around it. And when we really look at this pandemic, we could really honestly say to ourselves that this is probably one of the worst times that we are living in. That every single person here, one way or another, has been impacted. One way or another. But think about this, we've all have been faced in some way or another of our worst moments, I and mean, I'm sure every single one of us has some kind of story that's unique to yourself into your base of your circumstances just about a month ago, um, since because of the pandemic, a lot of weddings have been pushed off uh, until, you know, the following year. So I have about, I don't even know, there's like five, six weddings. And as a brown guy, as an Indian, that's like a ton of people and a long day, especially I have little kids. It's I'm not even looking forward to, but there's a ton. So because all of them, a lot of them are family as it is. So I went to my brother's wedding that was last in June. Then I had another cousin's wedding and my girls, because they're twins. They love to put them as flower girls. So throw that in there too, the headache. But anyway, all these weddings. So it's a lot of celebration, a lot of good things. But this week of Father's Day was not all that, that we wanted to celebrate, even though we were at a wedding. At the wedding, as my girls were lining up to walk down the aisle, Um, You know, as flower grows, I get this horrible news on my phone, uh, a text message from my father uh, that my aunt was tragically killed in a car accident. Their family was traveling to Newport, Rhode Island uh, for a family, you know, a Father's Day getaway, a trip, and they were tragically killed in a car accident. Now, for those who personally know my family, there's about five of those, my aunt, there's five sisters and one brother, My mom passed away about six years ago to lung cancer. And here's another one. So, yeah, I was wondering if that was blocking. (laughs) So, and then, um, yeah, she was just killed tragically in a car accident. It was heartbreaking for our family, even for our cousin as well. Uh, And the father, who is also hurt badly in the accident, is going through rehab now. And only two weeks ago, we just did the burial and, and, and the whole service itself. So it was... A painful time if anything probably one of the worst moments I would say um, in our time so it was hard it was difficult and I'm sure many of us could connect with maybe our worst moments but see when we look at the book of Genesis right when it opens up we see up until this point things have actually gone fairly well right if you're familiar with this passage, even the passage that we just read, we learn that creation is good and God says that it is good. We learn that God has created work as an avenue for us to relate to him and to reflect him. And that he created us to reflect him in our relationships, our unity, our interdependence and self-giving love that ought to reflect, if anything, the unity the independence and self-giving love that is actually found in the Trinity. So if anything, things have gone well until now, until we get to this passage. See, not only do things go wrong in this passage that we read, it is probably one of the worst moments in human history. See, if you make a list of what you consider to be the worst moments of human history, it was all made possible by this one particular moment that we're actually going to talk about this morning. And for those who are familiar, it is known as the fall of man. See, as we study this passage about our fall, I hope and I pray that you will see and discover God's love actually in this. Because he is truly the hero of this story. So we're going to see how God responds in our worst moments. See, our worst moments will usually take some form of trying to be like God in a way that we were never intended. So here is the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And that's this. How does God respond in our worst moments? How does God respond? respond in our worst moments i have two just two points that i want us to discuss this morning that's this one he reminds us that we are dust and two he redeems us from death so how does god respond in our worst moments one he reminds us that we are dust and he redeems us from death so what happened See, the garden of Eden was full of trees and among the trees were two other trees. The tree of life, which we would allow a person who eat of it to live forever and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were given a simple command that you may eat of any tree you want except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, you will die. And so they enjoyed, if anything, this perfect harmony with God, with one another, and the rest of creation. But Satan told a lie. If you think about it, it's still whispered in our ears that you can be like God. See, they failed to see that they were already created to reflect God, already created in his image. But for some reason, that was still not enough. See, they disobeyed and they ate the forbidden fruit. And now we experience disharmony with God and with one another and the rest of creation. Now you may wonder what does their worst moment have to do anything with me? I think it has everything to do with you and me today. I submit to you that we are so deeply affected by it that we reenact their decision. Every single day. Nearly every day we attempt to be like God in a way that we were never intended. In the book called Incensing Jesus by Zach Wine, he discusses that being created in God's image means that we were to be like him in many ways. Rationally, freedom, and relationship. But there are also ways that we were never created to be like him. And most of us reenact the fall by attempting to be like God in a way that we were never intended for us. How? We try to be like God in His omniscience, meaning we try to be all-knowing. Think about it. How many of you have ever wished that before you made a decision, you knew exactly how it was going to turn out? Have you ever wished that you could know all the possible variables before making the decision? For example, will I get that job? Should I pursue this relationship? How will it end? Will I get this gig? Should I take the job or will I end up hating it? Should I move to a new house, a new apartment? What if my roommate is a monster? (laughs) How long should I live here, even New York? The pandemic has forced us to really think and consider about that. The fact that God knows things that he doesn't disclose to us can actually be very maddening if we're honest with ourselves. Not only that, we try to be like God in his omnipotent, meaning that we try to be all-powerful. When I say that we try to be all-powerful, I don't mean that we wish that we could bench press 400 pounds, maybe some of you can, but or walk outside and lift a car and throw it. No, that's not the way that we wish that we were all-powerful. It's actually much more diabolical than that. We try to be all-powerful in being able to bend people and circumstances to our will. How often have you felt anxiety because you realized you were powerless to change your circumstances, no matter how hard you tried? How often have you felt anxiety because you realized you were powerless to change certain people in your life? Think about someone you wish you could change to be the way that you want. Try not to make eye contact with anyone. (laughs) when people don't do what you want, or when life doesn't turn out the way you want, it could drive you crazy. And our worst moments are usually characterized by attempt of being like God in ways that we were never intended. So how does God respond in our worst moments? Look at me at the first point. He reminds us that we are dust. Look at verse nine, 19 in chapter 3. <clears throat> By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. And for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, hearing that, that itself, now that sounds kind of harsh. From dust? To be told that we are from dust but it is true and we hold these two things together we are made in God's image which gives us dignity and also made from the ground that which gives us humility you see but after the fall we seem to have forgotten both of those things See, after Adam and Eve sin, Adam is reminded three times that he was made from the dust of the ground. God's first response to him after the sin, in verse 19, basically which we read was, "By the sweat of your face, and you shall re- eat bread till you, re- till you're returned to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." Therefore, God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. See, in in the span of almost four verses, there are three reminders that Adam is made from the dust. Over and over, he is told that he is made from the ground. Now, why does God do that? How is it loving to be be reminded us that we are dust? Think about it. If our worst moment is characterized by trying to grasp divinity, it is imperative that we are reminded of our humanity. But that's not all. Look in verse 22. It says, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. So here we have a way of that becoming like God was not good. Now at least he reached out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat. And life forever, God sent him out of the garden. See, after we reached out for divinity and tried to be like God, there was a possibility that we could still live forever by eating of the tree of life. But see, but God thought it was better for us to die than to live. In this petrol state of trying to be like him in a way that we were never intended to be like him. So the reminder that we are dust, that we will return to dust, is actually a very important part of the cure. And the reminders all around us. Hear this, a well-known famous poem called The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe conveys this idea of life irreversibility in a sinister a, a raven who is perching on the window ledge over and over again, repeating the words, nevermore, nevermore. See, Poe is suggesting that the that death means everything that is irreputable, that death is the mist of life that which will not return, that which belongs, irreversible in time and past, which we have no hope of ever recovering, which means that all childhood holidays with friends, the divorce of parents, or the house or schools that we have to leave, or a thousand other examples that you could think of. Even if it does not always mean the disappearance of a loved one, everything that comes under the heading of never mo- nevermore belongs in death's ledger. So what is he trying to say? He is saying that we are constantly reminded of death. That everything ultimately has an end. If anything, this COVID-19, this pandemic has been real and close to us that reminds us of that every single day that we are faced with death and from the ground we shall return. Now, you may push back and say, Justin, this is so depressing. (laughs) Stop talking about death. Stop reminding us that we are dust. But see, but it is a reminder. That we are dust that sobers us to accept our humanity. See, Scripture doesn't just see such reminders as depressing, but as wisdom. Listen to some of the wisdom literatures that, are, that speak of this, that tells us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, it says, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Psalms 90 verse 12, it says, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalms 39, it says, show me, O Lord, the number of my days, how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere heartburn. The span of many years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. And James chapter four, verse 14, why? Do you not even know that will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So how does God respond in our worst moments of trying to be like Him? He reminds us that we are dust. And it is love for Him to do so. So when you realize that you cannot transcend time and space, that you cannot fast forward to the future to escape this moment, that you cannot go back into the past to live in former moments, that unlike God, you cannot possess all of time and space simultaneously, that you are being reminded that you are not God. See, when you realize that you cannot know everything, you don't know the future, you can't know every possible variable, when you cannot bend people and circumstances to your will, you are being reminded that you are not God. See, when you reenact the fall in your worst moments, when you grasp at being like God or the God of your own life, you allow God allows you to feel, if anything, the emptiness of that by reminding you that it will never work because from dust you came and to dust you shall return. How has God been reminding you of this recently? Can we all say, teach me to number my days so that I may gain a heart of wisdom? Can we truly say that? In our worst moments. Look at me at our second point, and that in how God responds to us in our worst moments. He redeems us from death. Verse 21 And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now, reminding us that we are dust is not what saves us, only God can. But Adam and Eve don't acknowledge that at first, if you look at this passage. In fact, they try to redeem themselves. See, Adam and Eve were looking to redeem themselves. They took fig leaves. They put it together. And this always caught my attention and always made me think. How can two people who have never had the experience of being clothed know the shame of nakedness. How is that? See, I can understand if they are in a room full of people who are fully clothed and they are the only ones naked. I could understand if they had clothes before and someone removed them. But there are plenty of places in the world where people are naked and unashamed. So why on earth do these two experience the shame of nakedness in this place. See, we experience shame when we feel that things ought to have been one particular way, but it is not. Ashamed of what we have done, ashamed that I don't have what others have, ashamed that everyone else is being something that I am not. This is my guess of why this may be happening in this passage. What I believe that it is communicated to us is that once Adam and Eve reached out for divinity, they became ashamed of their humanity. Let me say that again. Once they reached out for divinity to be like God, that's when they became ashamed of their humanity. In verse 5, the serpent says, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And so we are told that they ate of the tree and that their eyes were open. But instead of realizing that they were like God, the first thing they experience is shame for their humanity. Verses 6 to 8. And so the first thing they try to do is fix it. But God knows that they... That God knows that just as their attempts of being like God will never do, neither will their attempts at self-redemption. We do the exact same thing. We reenact this, chapter 3 of Genesis, in our worst moments, over and over again. And we're being deceived daily by the whispers of Satan and his lies, over and over again. And we're trying to redeem ourselves, trying to fix ourselves. See, when we realize that we are dust, that we are not God, our inclination is to make up for it and redeem ourselves. Ernest Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, talks about the ways that we try to defeat death, one of which is by leaving a legacy, we say if we can't live forever, we want to be remembered forever. We want to be remembered for being a good father, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a mother. We want to be remembered for being the best chef, the entrepreneur, the lawyer, the writer, the artist, the musician, the athlete. Whatever it is, put, put, put whatever you want on that list. The way, that we, the way we are remembered is important to us even if you don't believe in an afterlife. See, even in the the movie Whiplash, if you ever had a chance to see it, it came out many years ago. It's a story about Andrew, who played by Miles Teller. He's a first-year jazz student who hopes to be the greatest jazz drummer who ever lived. I recommend to watch this movie. At first, you admire this guy's determination and commitment to his craft. And then you realize that there is more to play here. With often bloody and bruised knuckles from his practice, Andrew sacrifices his relationship, his sanity, and nearly his life to be remembered as the greatest jazz drummer that ever lived. And then it hits you that what he wants is not merely to be remembered, he wants immortality. Why on earth do you care about how you are remembered once you die? It's almost as if being remembered is a way of defeating death. If we could live on in the hearts and minds of people as significant, as great, then we have redeemed ourselves from dust. As I'm putting all this together and even coming to a close, I want to bring the worship team to come up. What will free us from insanity? What will free us from our insanity? That is only God. See, God saw the way that Adam and Eve tried to redeem themselves and essentially show them that their provision will never do, never. So what did God do? So he sacrifices an animal and making garments of skin, and God covers them. So, even in the worst moment of history, we are reminded that we cannot redeem ourselves. God reminds us that only He can, and He did. See, our good deeds wouldn't be sufficient to redeem us from death. Our quest for significance wouldn't be sufficient to redeem us from death. No, only God can. And this is the way he reversed it all. When we sinfully reached out for divinity, God redeemed us by taking on humanity. See, Jesus came into this world and took on flesh and didn't stop there but took on our sin. As we continue to do our worst by nailing him to a cross, God displayed his love by willingly laying himself down. So when our rebellion was at his height is when his love was most fiercely displayed for you and I. And from now until Christ returns, you and I will be reminded of these two things when we will reenact the fall, because we will reenact the fall. That in our worst moments, when we try to be like God, He will remind us that we are dust. And that in our worst moments, when we try desperately to redeem ourselves, He will remind us that only He can do this. That's God's love. That is the good news of the gospel that God freely gives to you and I. And he did this and made this all possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. In our worst moments, when we try to be like God, he will remind us that we are dust. And in our worst moments, when we try desperately to redeem ourselves, He will always remind us that only He can do this. May you receive this good word. That does not come from me, but from our Father above. May His love display greatly to us through His Son, Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. Gracious and heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the people here. I thank you for this word that you have shared with us. That is a great reminder God, even many of us may be walking through these doors now this morning, God. We are ashamed of the sin and the baggage or maybe we've gone through some kind of worst moment even this morning or this past week. May they look to you, Jesus. May they not look into themselves but look above to you. Trying not to fix the situation, but to seek you by reminding them that only you can. Just like you did with our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they tried to cover up their shame, God, you stepped in, you sacrificed an animal, clothed them. Right there in the beginning, you pointed to the great story, the great hero, Jesus Christ, to the ultimate sacrifice through your son, Jesus. And now he who knew knew no sin became sin for you and I. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you heal us from our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, whatever it is, God. You meet us over there. You meet us in our dark places, our painful places. So Lord, we give this time to you. We love you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.